We've been traveling through the book of Luke, and so we looked at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus when we saw him choose uh, some of his disciples, and then we talked about Easter. And now we're in the second section of chapter 5 in Luke, and there's these interactions that happen between people and Jesus. And they have to decide how they're going to approach Jesus and what that approach is going to mean and how they're going to make their decision on what their relationship with Jesus is going to be. And I think what's unique in each of these circumstances that we're looking at is that they have to overcome some sort of fear in order to approach Jesus. So last week, if you missed it, we talked about the leper who comes to Jesus and just simply says, if you will, I, you can heal me. And so he approached them, and it says that he was advanced in leprosy. He had had it for a long time. It was very obvious this person was very sick. And so he had to come through the town and listen to people yelling unclean, and he was supposed to yell unclean. He had to go through all of that and come to Jesus and approach through all of that and maybe even to have Jesus say no. And so he overcame that fear and came to Jesus. And so here's where, kind of the premise of our conversation, where we're going to go today. Fear, I think, is the number one reason we don't take our next step in following Jesus. At some point, we know what the next step in our faith is. We know what we're supposed to do. We know Jesus is asking us to do something, or we're supposed to take something out of our life, whatever that might be. And somewhere along the way, we kind of go, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm too afraid to do it. Because I don't like what could happen. I don't like giving up. Last week, we talked about control. I don't like giving up control and saying, if I give this up, I don't get to make the decision. I don't get to hold all the cards and decide what to do if Jesus tells me to go to somewhere or do something that I don't feel comfortable doing. And where we're going to go today, I think there's a moment, there's an interaction where there is some uncomfortability in wanting and needing to approach Jesus that some characters in the scriptures have to overcome. And I want to learn a little bit about what we should do maybe from their choices in life. So here's where we're going to be. Luke chapter 5, right? I said that a few times. We're going to start in verse 17. Okay? So if you want to turn your Bible there, you can. If you want to turn on your phone there, you can. Um, as always, the verses will be up on the screen for us and everything. But if you want to follow along on our website, you can scan the QR code on the back of your Next Steps card. That will take you to all the notes and all the verses. And you can even email them to yourselves, send a prayer request, all that kind of fun stuff. So we would encourage you to check out the follow-along page. But in Luke 5, verse 17, it starts here with this. It says, One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Now let's let's just pause for a minute, because we I want to give like a little bit of background. We know that Jesus has been getting more popular. This is still kind of early in his ministry, okay, but he's been baptized, he's gone into the wilderness and fasted. He started to call his disciples, and he's starting to do miracles, and he's starting to heal people, and he's starting to cast out demons and all of this stuff. And so as this is happening, people start to talk. And so the word gets around throughout Israel that this is happening, and there's this new prophet or new guy or rabbi or whatever they want to call him, and they're trying to figure him out. And so what ends up happening even more so is that this this becomes a little bit magnified because not only are just people in general finding out about Jesus, but it says the Pharisees and teachers of religious law were coming. So when we're walking into this setting, we're not just talking about a regular, just just a group of people that happen to be along the side of the road and Jesus stops and has a conversation. These are the people that are the, the key holders for the faith. 
And so they're showing up saying, what do we do about this person? Do we believe him? Do we trust him? What's giving him this power? So they're really trying to figure out what's going on. And that would create a certain setting in the room that would make it also a little bit more heightened. So you've got like this regular group of people that are just coming in to hear Jesus, but then you've got kind of a group sitting over to the side that you know are scrutinizing and are going to tell you what to believe about this person. And so this is, this gets very interesting very quickly in my mind. So in verses 18 and 19, it goes on, it says, so some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man in or on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Verse 20. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Verse 21. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And here's the thing. The Pharisees and teachers are right. Every once in a while, you'll hear somebody say that the Gospels don't actually say that Jesus claimed to be God, or that maybe the Gospel of John claims it, but that came after the other Gospels, and so not all the Gospels are claiming this, and they were just historical accounts, and the claims of Jesus to be God were just put in after. But here's the thing. Everyone knew what Jesus was saying when he said, your sins are forgiven. He was claiming to be God. And the Pharisees and teachers show us that. They react actually the way they should. Like if you heard somebody come and say to somebody else, I forgive you of your sins, and they weren't the one who did something wrong to them, that should put up a red flag in our minds, right? You can't forgive somebody unless, you're the one, unless you were wronged by that person. And so when Jesus says, I forgive you, he's making the claim to be God. And the Pharisees and religious leaders jump on that and say, this is a problem we have to address. But going into verses 22 and 23, it says, Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? Verse 24, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. Verses 25 and 26, and immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard this story. Right? It's one of those stories that kind of jumps out of Scripture. Um, one of my favorite preachers, I listened to him do a sermon on this this week, and he named it uh, Jesus Heals the Ceiling Fan because of someone you know, just coming down from the ceiling, and I thought that was kind of funny. But we, we've heard this story, and here's, here's what we lose a little bit, I think, is we know the end. And so we get to the end in verse 26, and it says, we've, they, even the people say, we have seen amazing things. That's why this story sticks out, because it's such a unique situation, and Jesus does something that's incredible. They all knew that this guy was paralyzed. They, they watched him get up and walk. I mean, you, we would be amazed too. And when you even think about the science behind that, what would need to take, it's not just like he all of a sudden, his body just knew how to walk, but like he would have to have muscle development and ligament development and all of that stuff happened instantaneously for him to just be able to jump, it says jump up and walk out of there. This was an incredible thing. But here's what I think we miss. The actual tension of what this moment called for. They had to 
approach this place and figure out a way in, and they went through the roof. And I think there's something unique about this, right? I, I talked about how the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are there. I, you know, when we think about the things that people fear, fe- people fear being in front of other people, right? Like, that's one of the things they always say is one of people's biggest fears is being up in front of people and needing to talk, okay? So if I walked up to one of you and said, hey, I need you to preach next week. I'm giving you a week's notice. That's plenty of notice, right? And you be ready for next Sunday. Here's the, I'll give you the passage. I'll give you the big idea. You just preach it, okay? Here's, there's like three camps on that, right? One of you would like be maybe excited about it, right? Someone would be like, all right, I've been waiting for my chance. Let's do this, okay? That's not all of you, not even most of you, right? Here's the other camp. Uh, You would say yes because you would feel bad saying no, but it would ruin your week, right? It would be all you think about and all you process and you would be stressful and worried about it and all of that stuff, right? And then there'd be another group of you that would just look at me and say, no, like ask me to do anything else, anything else. I will do that. I don't want to do this, okay? Because being up front and having the attention on you is something people don't usually want. Then you get weirdos like me and Andrew who enjoy it, right? But there's, there, that's a big fear, Because you have everybody's attention, you have to not look silly, you have to be able to speak well, you have to be prepared. Um, I remember in high school, uh, well, let me do this. How many of you actually took a speech class before? Okay, I know the people to ask to preach around here. Just kidding, I won't do that. I had a speech teacher in high school, okay? His name was Mr. Boyer. And he would, we had to do speeches throughout, he was an English teacher, I guess. And so throughout the, at some point he had us doing speeches and the speech was, I'll remember this, it was how to cook a Thanksgiving dinner, okay? And you had to talk for five minutes. That was it. Five minutes, how to cook a Thanksgiving dinner, and it was just in front of our class. You didn't have to do it in front of other classes or anybody. It was just our class. And he would sit in the back of the room with a rusty old bucket and marbles. And anytime you said, um, he'd drop a marble in the bucket, So you'd get kids who were so nervous, and they would go, um, clank, um, clank, um, clank. Like, it was just, like, over and over, and they couldn't, it was like that clank just wouldn't get out of the, I think that bucket was older than all of us. Like, it was, it was the weirdest thing. But he would also make, he said, you have to fill the time. And if you didn't fill the time, there was actually a correlation. So you had to talk for five minutes. If you spoke for three minutes, the two, I forget how it would work, but like the two minutes short you were was, there was a correlation between how short you were on your time and how much would be taken off of your grade. So he was, he would say, listen, just find something to talk about. Like, even if you fill the time, you could talk about cooking a terrible Thanksgiving dinner. He's like, I don't care about what you actually say about cooking it. No one's actually going to learn how to cook a dinner from this five minute conversation. He's like, but just fill the time. And I watched kids get up there and they would go for like three minutes. They would go for four, whatever. And I just remember all of this. And it was people in my class. I, I wasn't necessarily as comfortable at that point. I think I was a freshman, but I also wasn't terrified of it. But there were kids that, that I mean, it was the worst part of their year because they didn't want to be in front of people. And it was even people they knew, right? It was their friends. It was their classmates. And our classes were so small. It was like 23 kids. It wasn't even that big of a deal, but they were terrified. And all of this instance, this conversation that we're looking at in Luke 5, all of the attention would be on these guys. 
And that changes the dynamic of what it, what it costs them to follow Jesus. So let's just go through this, right? What fears did the paralyzed man and his friends have to overcome? Or what did they have to face? Here's the first part, a very awkward entrance, okay? Even if, like, so they get ready, they come to the house, and it's full. Even if they try and work their way with a stretcher, it's like, excuse me, pardon me, coming through, got to get to, you know, I got to get to the, where the thing is, and they figure it out. But they don't decide to do that. They decide to go up on the roof, right? And so when they have to do that, well, then as they're coming down through, everyone's looking at them. They're, they're drawing all of the attention that's supposed to be on Jesus to them, which I think the para- I'll tell you why in a little bit. I think the guy who was paralyzed, I don't think he loved this. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. But it was drawing all of the attention to them. Here's the second thing they had to overcome is a very angry homeowner. This is like a state farm commercial, is it not? You think about all the hoops they had to jump through. And, and I, this is where I get to be too much of a Bible nerd. I wish Luke had gone and interviewed these guys. I've said that so many times as we've gone through Luke. Like, Luke, please go do the legwork of a good reporter and go talk to these guys. Because there's a group dynamic within this group of friends that I would love to understand. Because you have to know, right, there, this was not all, like, let's just imagine there was four friends. Okay, I just imagine that because, you know, corners of the stretcher carrying the guy. There's one friend who's nuts, okay, who's going the whole time, no, we've got to get in, we've got to go, we've got to do this. And the other, at least one or two, maybe three other guys are looking at him going, we can't get in. Like, let's just wait till another day, let's wait an hour, see if the crowd goes away, let's figure this out. And he's going, no, let's go through the roof. And they're like, you're a moron, why are we going through the roof? But he's charging, and they have no way to stop him. And maybe there's two of them that are that excited. I don't know. But you just think about what it would take for you to say, let's tear the roof off the place to get them to Jesus. Now, here's something I want you to understand. The roof was actually a normal place for them to go hang out. So in these homes at the time, they were small. They could get very warm when it was hot outside. So it was not abnormal for there to be stairs that would go up to the roof. And they would use the roof as kind of like a deck or patio sometimes. So it's It's not weird that they could get to the roof. It's not even weird that they would be on the roof. But the weird thing is you're going to rip the roof apart to get him down inside. And I'm assuming the homeowner was there. And I'm assuming if this was your house, you would be trying to stop them. This is where I wish we had these details. The dynamics here would be fantastic. And someone's just trying to stop them. And they're going, nope, we're not stopping. We're ripping the roof off the place. We're just going to continue down this path. And then here's the last thing I think they risked or they, they had to face, was a very risky gamble. And not unlike the man with leprosy, these friends risked the idea that Jesus would say no. And when you think about that, no one wants to be that friend that pushes their friend into something only for them to be disappointed. And, and this was a big deal. For them to come before Jesus and to say, would you please, for, for Jesus to understand, and, and, and they wanted Jesus to heal their friend. What if Jesus looks at them and just says, you ripped the roof off somebody's house. No, go away. You drew all the, I'm teaching, and you're drawing all the attention to you. Go away and wait till later. How would that conversation on the way home go? Like, I'm sorry, man, I, I really thought it would work out, and... Now, I'm st- now your friend is stuck the way he is. And Jesus didn't respond. 
And so you've got all of this attention brought on, on them. You've got the risk that Jesus says no. And you even have to deal with what is the homeowner going to do about this when we decide to go through with this plan. And here's, here's what I think is true. The perception of people is one of our greatest fears. Just like we, one of the things that would make us nervous about being up in front of people is I want people to think I'm good at this. Like I want people to think I'm not just stumbling over my words or whatever. Like I, I want people to think that I'm smart or that I'm, I'm good at what I do and I want people to appreciate me and I want people to like me. And this question comes in when it comes to following Jesus. Because what other people are going to think of our next step matters to us greatly. Our, our, we could think this way about if we're going to take a new job. Like, what would people think if I moved from this job to the next job? What's my boss going to think? What are my coworkers going to think? What if I choose to go to this school instead of that school? Like, what are my friends going to think about that? Or what are my classmates going to think? Or what are my parents going to think? Or what if I make this decision over here? What are people going to think about what I'm doing with my life? And we, we process that. Some of us, even just easy thing, right? This morning, we looked in a mirror and just thought, are people going to think I look okay in this? We think about people's opinion all the time. And when that comes into play, it can change the way we think and act drastically. Why? Because I think this is true, right? No one wants to be weird. No one wants to be the weird friend that all of our friends look at and go, yeah, you're just a little different than us. I don't know about you. Right? We don't want to be that friend unless there's a bunch of us who are weird and then we all hang out. And it's like, great, we can be weird together. No one wants to be lonely because one of the things we fear with people's perception of us is if they think we're the weird one or they think we're not cool or they think they don't like us, whatever. We're not going to get invited to the thing. We're not going to be able to build friendships. So then if we're not invited to be a part of the group, then we're going to be lonely no one wants to be laughed at. No one wants to be the person someone looks at and goes, you believe what? I can't believe that. I can't believe you would act that way. I can't believe that you would do this. And so we deal with this stuff. And we process it. And we, all, whether we think about it or not, when we make decisions, we think about what other people are going to think about us and how people are going to view us if we go forward with the plan we have in place. So here's the question. Why do the thoughts of others matter to us so much. And here's the interesting thing, and I think it's a really cool thing because I think it's just the, the fact that God understands how we were made and how we process things. The Bible speaks to this. There's a couple places I want to go, first of all. Uh, Proverbs 29, verse 25 says this, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. So if you fear people, if you fear simply what people are going to think, what people are going to say, what people are going to do in response to what you're doing— Proverbs says it's a trap. Why is it a trap? It's a trap because it's always changing. Anybody notice that all the styles from the 90s are back in style? Right? So we, it just goes in a circle. So what's right or wrong for 20 years all of a sudden is not for 20 years, and then it comes back around. The 90s was 30, 40, whatever it was. I don't know. I'm, I'm 33. So like figuring that out and like kind of figuring out, okay, things are just coming back around. And what was right or wrong for a while is going to be right or wrong again later. So it's a trap because you're always trying to pursue what people think, but what people think always changes. But if we follow what God says, if we trust what the Lord says, then that means safety because he never changes. He knows and gives us the instructions and what truth is. And so when we lean into that, it's safety. But if we fear what people think and we only live for that, it's a trap, Proverbs says. Going to the New Testament, Paul gives us some information in Galatians 1. And if you go back 
and read the couple of verses before this. I'm not going to do it right now. But if you do, here's what, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about people that are preaching a false gospel. And he says, for people that preach a false gospel, they should be under a curse. Now, he doesn't say exactly what that curse means, but he's, he's not mincing words. He's like, if you preach a false gospel, I hope there's a curse on you. And then he goes on in verse 10 to say, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. I don't think you're trying to win the approval of people if you're hoping people have a curse on them. But he says, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Here's what this says to us. If we are a follower of Jesus, if that's a choice we've made in our lives, we have to then set aside the approval of people. Like, we can't chase both. So if we want people to be happy with us, don't follow Jesus, because Jesus already told us the world has hated me. If we want to follow Jesus, then set aside what other people think about us, because we can't be, uh, we can't be trying to win the approval of people and also be Christ's servant. So there's automatically a friction here that all of us feel and all of us have to deal with and figure out what we're going to do with it. Here's what's true. At some point, if you're really following Jesus, it's going to become obvious to the people around you. At some point in our interactions with people, we're going to come to a moment where we have to make a decision that's either going to honor God or honor people. And in that moment, what we decide is going to show people where our allegiances lie. I'll give you an example, right? Maybe you're at the company party and you're hanging out, a few drinks, no problem, but you're, you're noticing your coworkers are just starting to go down a hill you don't want to go down. And they keep saying to you, here's another one, right? Here's another one. And you have to decide, am I going to continue to take them or am I going to cut myself off and say, I'm not going to continue down the path they're going on? And what's the real thing in that moment is what are they going to think of me? I used to teach on this stuff all the time in youth group because teenagers and choosing friends and how we interact with others and the kind of relationships we set up, it matters greatly. And I think for a while as I processed, you know, this conversation we were going to have today, I realized I haven't had this conversation because I didn't think adults needed it as much. And the more I thought about it, I was like, no, we need it too. (laughs) Like we have to have this conversation too about what we're going to do. When we get into moments where we fear the, the peer pressure that, we, that other people are going to put on us, your boss shows up and says, I need you to stay an extra, I need you to work an extra 10 hours this week when you already promised your wife and kids something, right? What do we do with that? What's my boss going to think when they say that? What's my family going to think if I make that decision? What, how do I honor Jesus in this moment? We worry about this. And here's what I know to be true, that our pursuit of Jesus is more important than what people think of us. This is where I think this moment with the paralyzed man and his friends, this really came true. Because I would have been, I'll just be honest with you, I would have been the friend in the group saying, no, let's just come back later. Like, let's just wait a while, let's try tomorrow morning. Maybe if we stay really late, like when everybody else goes home, we can get to Jesus Let's just plan that out. And then when somebody says, let's take the roof off the place, I would have been the one saying, no, I don't want to have to pay for a roof or whatever this means. I don't know. Like, I don't want to do this. So, like, let's just figure that there's got to be a better way to do this. And the other friend is going, no, no, no. I'm going to pursue my friend getting to Jesus over whatever else matters. 
And honestly, I would have been one of the, one of my thought processes would have been, I don't want to have the awkwardness of everybody looking at me when they're supposed to be paying attention to Jesus. I would have tried to probably spiritualize a lot. But at the same time, I would have been thinking about what people thought of me rather than my pursuit of Jesus. And here's what we try and do sometimes, okay? Sometimes we try to keep a private pursuit when Jesus calls us to a public pursuit. Here's what I mean by that. When we decide to follow Jesus, there can be part of us that just says, I can do this, I can follow Jesus, nobody really else needs to know that. Right? I can have, you know, when you decide to follow Jesus, you have a conversation with him, you pray to him, you just have that conversation, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, I want you to save me, I know, I believe you died and rose for my sins, and I want that relationship with you. You have that conversation, you can do that quietly by yourself, no one else around, that can happen. And then every spiritual decision after that, you think you can, like, internalize. But then what happens when we get to Monday, and our coworker says, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, nothing. Hung out on Saturday, watched the game, mowed the yard, whatever, right? What about Sunday? Ah, same old, same old, right? Why? Because we don't want to say something maybe about where we were on Sunday. Like, and I get it because the way that Christians are portrayed sometimes is not great. And people assume things when you say you're Christian, they assume that you believe one thing or the other, or you vote a certain way, or you spend your time doing something, you feel a certain way about a certain group of people. And so it's easier sometimes not to just have that label. And yet, what does Jesus call us to be? It, Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to start in verse 9. It says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 10, once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Verse 11, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Verse 12, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So Peter says, There's, this is a public thing. Like the way we interact and live amongst our unbelieving neighbors is going to show them part of who God is. And Paul talks about being representatives of God and, and wanting people to see that. And so when we decide, oh, I'm just going to keep Jesus to myself, right? The song we sang, if you grew up in Sunday school, like hide it under a bushel, whatever a bushel is, right? No, I'm going to let it shine kind of thing. I have to look up what a bushel is now because it sounds like a bush, but it's not, I guess. I don't know. That's not what we're called to do. So he says you have to live this way amongst people who don't know him so that they will know him. Because sometimes what can happen is we think, let's just separate ourselves so that we don't have to deal with those people. Or let's just live in the bubble so that we don't have to have this conversation. Or we only have conversation and interact with people who know Jesus because that's a little bit easier. And Peter says it's not, it's not what we're called to do. 
It says, again, just in verse 9, it says, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Like, that's what we're supposed to do. And he says, even when they say wrong things about you, even when they say you do wrong things, we know it's not true. And yet, it's the way that we're called to live. So guess what? Sometimes, living as a follower of Jesus means that other people are going to say things that are either untrue or really frustrating about you, right? They're going to assume things about you. And yet, and about me, and yet we're called to live in a way that says my pursuit of Jesus is more important than what people think about me. The most important verse in chapter 5 in this story is verse 20. And I want to go back to it for a couple minutes. Luke 5 verse 20, here it is again, right? It says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. You know, if, let's just go back to our setting, okay? What's going on in this story for a second? Think about this moment, okay? People are sitting there, learning from Jesus, hanging out, just listening. And all of a sudden, they start to hear commotion up on the roof, okay? Dust starts to fall on people as they're listening to Jesus. I mean, this is getting kind of weird. All of a sudden, the sunlight is through the ceiling. Like, they now have a skylight in this house. And they're trying to figure this out. And they're listening to Jesus. And this just continues. And at some point, okay, As they're lowering the man down, he's just dangling in front of Jesus while all the other people are looking at him. Just feel the tension in that for a moment. Like if people did that and we were trying to listen to Jesus, we would be very frustrated. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Now if I'm one of the guys on the roof holding the rope, I'm looking at the other guys going, what did he say? Like, that, that's great, Jesus. We want him to walk. Like, that's what we're aiming for here. We weren't aiming at the sin thing. That's great. But can we, can we make him walk? That's why we brought him here. That's why we went through the roof. That's why we did all this stuff. And I think that this gets in our way sometimes. What if Jesus doesn't give me what I think I need? Like, what if I go through all this work? And people think I'm weird, or people think I'm different, or people think certain things about me, or they judge me because I'm a Christian, and then in the end, I don't even get what I'm looking for. Is it worth it? Or if I look at my friends, and I look at people who don't know Jesus, and I look at what they're pursuing and how they're doing in life, and they seem to be getting all the stuff, and everybody actually likes them, which is worth more? That I would know Jesus and take what he would offer me, or that I would pursue what, I would be happy with what people are saying about me, and I would pursue what I need. And here's what I think is true. Recognizing our desperation should drive us to a desperate faith. Like, we can do nothing without God. And so if that's really the case, our desperation to get to Jesus should always be higher than our desperation for what people think or say about us. That should be our focus And when we realize all we can do is lay there and just say, Jesus, would you move in my life? Would you do something different? Would you change me? Would you heal me? Would you move me away from this sin? Would you save me? Would you do the thing I know you can do? When we have that desperate faith, there's nothing that's going to stop us from getting to Jesus. I want to go back to that verse one more time, okay? Verse 20. Here's what it says. Maybe you didn't notice this word before. Maybe you did. It says, seeing their faith. He looked at the man and said, your sins are forgiven. Is that interesting to anybody else? 
Like usually you, uh, you would say, Jesus would look at him and say, your faith has, now you're forgiven. No, he says he looks at their f- friends. So now, okay, right? Dude's dangling in front of Jesus and Jesus is looking up at the friends. <laughs> he says, because of them, your sins are forgiven. This is why I think, and I'm not like dunking on the paralyzed guy at all, but like, I don't think he wanted them to bring him there. Because he's not the one whose faith made him, made his God's sins forgiven. I think he, when they approached him and said, we're going to take you to Jesus, I think maybe he was like, no, guys, I don't want to go. Like, I've had people praying for me. I've had this happen. I've had that happen. I've had, right? Like, this is not changing. This is my life. And they say, tough, man, we're going. They pick him up, carry him there. Too many people. Okay, guys, good try. Let's just go home. Nope, we're going through the roof. You're what? I don't want to go through the roof. I wouldn't want to either. And yet, when he gets in front of Jesus, he looks at them and says, because of your faith, your friend's sins are forgiven. Here's what I want us to understand. The faith of those we surround ourselves with may impact our eternity. Like, there's two sides to this coin, okay? There's the side of, there's a lot of people watching me. There's a lot of people going to make assumptions about me. There's a lot of people going to say things about me. Do I care more about what they say, or do I care more about what Jesus says? Then the other side of that coin is, who are the people that I actually trust, that I'm surrounding myself with? And are they the ones that are going to encourage me towards Jesus and not encourage me in the other direction? Because those people we should listen to. Back in Proverbs, just one time for one verse, Proverbs 12, verse 15, just says this, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. But this isn't just anybody. These are the people we trust. These are the people that we know love us and care about us and want us to go to Jesus. So here's how I would say this. Find friends who will carry you to Jesus, not fuel the pursuit of yourself. He had his sins forgiven because he had friends that said, our pursuit of pushing you to Jesus is even greater than what people are going to think about us. That's, that's another level, to be that devoted to your friend, that, they, that you would say, I don't care what people think about me, I'm going to carry you to Jesus. By the way, this is what we get to do when we pray for other people. Like they, sometimes people get in situations where they can't, they don't, know how to do, they don't know how to do something for themselves. They don't know how to figure it out. They don't, they don't even know we're carrying them to Jesus. And we're just saying, we're going to come around you, and we're going to pray for you, and we're going to carry you to Jesus. Sometimes this looks like just bringing meals to somebody that needs it or driving them to doctor's appointments or whatever it means, like showing up in ways where we say, we're going to be what Peter said. We're going to show the goodness of God to you out of what we're doing. We're going to carry you to Jesus because we know that's what you need. So this is, this is the tension. We have to figure out how do we leave behind the right voices but also invite the right voices in and say those are the people that are going to have say over who I am and the choices I'm making and they're going to push me to Jesus. Now here's the challenge with this. Many times those people are the people that look at us when we have a bad day and they go, I don't care what that person says about you. I love you anyway. And what do we say to those people? Well, you have to. Right? It's like your mom or your sibling or your best friend. Like, well, you have to love me. 
What are we really saying? I still care more about what those people say about me than I do about what you say about me. We've got it reversed. We should say, especially if those people are people who want us to go to Jesus, who carry us to Jesus, who push us towards Jesus and not away from Jesus, we should look at those people and say, I care more about what you say than about those people. And you know that they have to love you, and they're always going to be there for you, but that's what gives them value. And too many times we brush that off and say, yeah, but what they said, that person out there that I really shouldn't care about that much, they said hurts me. And I get it. I've been there too. But when we look at the people who really love us, we should really be more focused on what they're saying, especially if they are people that carry us to Jesus. So here's the question, okay? I don't know where you're at. I don't know whose voice matters to you most in life, but that's the question, okay? Whose opinions are you allowing to shape your actions? Because sometimes when we choose the wrong path, it's simply because we want something. But sometimes we choose the wrong path because of what other people are going to think about us. Because of what they're going to say, because of what they're going to do, because of what they're going to say about somebody else, because they're going to assume something about us that's not true. We say, I'm just going to give in this one time because it's easier. I'm just going to go down this path because everybody's gone down this path. So why not go down this path? Seems fine. They turned out okay. Or are we going to pursue Jesus more than what other people think about us? And that means there's going to be moments where we're going to stick out like a sore thumb, like a paralyzed guy dangling from the ceiling in front of all these people. We're going to say, is it worth it for me to get to Jesus? Or am I going to allow that fear of what people are going to think stop me from taking that next step? Sometimes when we take steps in our walk with Jesus and we take that next step, the only person that sees it is Jesus. And that's the only one that should matter. It doesn't matter what other people see or think. It matters what Jesus does. So, whose opinion are you allowing to shape your actions? And are you building friendships and relationships around you? Am I building friendships and relationships around me with people that carry me to Jesus instead of fueling my own pursuits? Let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful for this interaction and what a day it must have been for those people that were sitting around you and listening to your teaching until somebody came down through the ceiling. And man, I would love to know what that conversation was like for those friends. And I ask that we would be the kind of friends that look at other people and say, I don't care what's in the way. I'm carrying you to Jesus. I pray that those people would be so obvious in our lives as well. I also pray that wherever we're at, whatever decisions we're making, whatever things we're processing, if there's something going on and we, we know the next step to take in our faith journey, but we don't take it because we're fearful of what other people would think, I pray that you give us the strength to chase down what you're asking us to do anyway. It's so easy to look at what other people say and just go, I don't want to be the weird person. I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to be laughed at. And in those moments, sometimes we just have to say, the only person who can see that I'm doing it is, is Jesus. And I pray that that would be enough for us. In Jesus' name, amen.